Hi, Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the least of these podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. Amen. It's good to be here. Today we're going to be back in the book of John and I think we finished at verse 25 last week. And I guess we'll get to verse 26 today in chapter 1 of John chapter 1. And I want to read, I guess I'll read through verse 28 and then we'll see how far we get. It says, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Some people say that's Bethany. I don't know what your Bible says. But remember we're talking about the book of John. The seven signs, seven miracle signs. Changes the water into wine. He heals a blind man. Uh, heals a lame man. A paralyzed man. He... Uh, Steals the storms. He brings Lazarus back to life. He does all these things to prove that he is God. And John records these signs. It's in John chapter 20 verse 30 and 31. He says that he wrote these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And believing you might have life in his name. And so he writes. He doesn't put any genealogy. He doesn't put any birth narrative. He doesn't put any manger scene but he goes straight to the heart of the matter and the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God Jesus is God he always has been he always will be no matter what anybody else says and so as we go through these verses we've seen the witness of John the rejection of Christ we've seen that Jesus came in human flesh And then the last time I was here, we talked about John's witness to the priest and the Levites and how the uh, muckety-mucks or whatever you want to call them, the powers that be, are wondering why John's baptizing. And he says, are you the... He just flat out tells them he's not the Christ, not the anointed one. And then they said, are you Elijah? And he says, no. And he says, are you the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. And so... He said he was just a voice crying in the wilderness. And so, as they get down to verse 24 and 25, they ask him, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? In other words, they're saying, We didn't give you authority, so who gave you the authority? And remember, these folks have asked the question, Who are you? And he still hasn't told them who he is. <laughs> He's not planning on telling them who he is. He just said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And it says that John answered them and saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. And what John is saying is that Jesus is probably standing right there in the crowd with him. He's only baptizing with water because his repent, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. His was one that that um, the Jews uh, they baptized themselves a lot, and some folks said they maybe even did it every day. But uh, John's re, John's baptism was more of one 
that where the Jews had to say, I'm like a Gentile. And remember in the Old Testament there were there were two groups of people and God divided up the world into the Jews and the Gentiles. There were Jews and then there was us. And the Gentiles, which were us, were the pagans. We were the ones that that uh needed to be right with God according to the Jews remember they all needed to get right with God just like all of us do today but uh, they got like the Jew, like the church has today and the church has got to the place where the church thinks it's better than those people out there on the street that we think we're better than all these other folks but you know the bottom line is that could have been any of us or all of us out there on that street you know, living in the street, doing some of the wrong things. If we hadn't have been brought up the way we were brought up, or we could have gone the wrong way. What's that old saying? But by the grace of God, there go I. And, um, you know, that's really true. And, but, you know, the whole reason God saves people and the whole reason He sent the Jewish people was to tell others about Jesus Christ. And when we get uppity and think that we got a handle on it, and we think we're better than other people, and we think that that uh, just because we're saved that we're better than other folks, then we got another thing coming. Because the bottom line is, is, is the whole reason God forgives us and saves us is He said that it wasn't because of anything about us, but it was by His grace, through faith, that He saved us. And so, you know, we need to be out there about the business of the Lord. And so John's baptizing with water and these Jews are going, uh, who do you think you are that you think that uh, I have to be like a Gentile and, and, and say that I'm like a Gentile and I need to be changed, I need to be different. And that's what a lot of church folks think today. I said, keep saying one day I'm going to preach a message that says, who am I? Who was I? And where did I come from? In other words, get us back to the roots of where we started at, and kind of get our uh, get some of our uppiness out of us, you know. Because sometimes we think just because other people look different than us, or because they didn't have all the privileges, or they don't dress like us, we sometimes tend to think that we're better than they are, and you know. I just thank God that I was raised in a family and I didn't have to live in one of these projects and I didn't have to grow up in Africa or grow up in one of these countries or somewhere where, you know, they didn't have the privileges and the things that we have over here. Because I, I have a little thing that I've got on my MP3 player. Maybe I'll play it at the end, but... It, it, Chuck Swindoll. Anybody know Chuck Swindoll? Y'all probably know who Chuck Swindoll is, don't you? He's a famous preacher. And uh, he, he read a little thing called Blessed. And he says, if you have, you know, a place to stay, roof over your head, and a little money in your pocket, you're more blessed than 90-something percent of the people in the world. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's true. We don't realize that, but... The poorest of the poor in the United States have more money and more privileges and more stuff than about 90% of the world. We just don't realize that. That 90% of the world 
A lot of those folks go to bed hungry tonight. A lot of them don't have the things that we have. They don't have all the things and even the poorest of the poor over here in America are better off than 90%. But you know, John's really saying, look, you need to be like a Gentile and go get straight with the Lord is what he's saying. And he says, Jesus is standing right there among us. You know, just like today, the Bible says, where two or three are gathered, that Jesus is right there amongst us, right? I heard a story about somebody getting offended because the pastor walked around during the uh, offering and was watching everybody drop money in the plate. And uh, he said, well, I see some of y'all got mad because I was watching y'all. But he says, guess what? Jesus is walking down these aisles watching you too. You better be more worried about Jesus watching you than me, you know. And so he says, there, one, there stands one among you whom you don't know. And Jesus is standing right there in the crowd. Apparently he said, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. And he says it again. He says... Even though he comes after me, he is preferred before me, and I'm not even worthy to loose his sandal strap. You know, back in those days, uh, they would have teachers. And what would happen was the teachers uh, would ask their disciples to do all kinds of things that, that you know, for their, for their master, for their, for their teacher... But one thing that the teacher would never ask the disciple to do was untie a sandal strap because they felt like that was too menial of a task, that that was too low of a thing to ask their disciple to do, so they would never ask them to do that. But John says, I'm not even worthy to do that on Jesus' feet, is what he says. And he says these things were done in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing or Betharba. And so we don't really know exactly where that is. I've read a couple things and one guy said that this was actually the place, Bethany right there was actually the place where, uh, you know, Joshua and the Jews actually crossed over the river into the promised land. And so... Basically, Jesus is starting his ministry in the same place where the promised land was beginning. And he was bringing that promised land in. He was bringing that promised life in. You know, in the promised life, the promised land, I don't know how much you know about your Old Testament, but the, but the promised land was really not heaven. But it was a picture of the abundant life that we can have here on earth. As a Christian, Jesus said, I came that you might have joy. He said, I came that you might have peace. And he said, I come that you might have life and life abundantly. Jesus didn't come to make us miserable, did he? But you know, that's what a lot of people think. They say, oh, if I get saved, I can't do the things I used to do. And they worry more about the stuff they're going to have to give up. than they're worried about what they can do for Jesus and having a good life. But you know, if Jesus takes anything out of our life, he always gives us something back better than he took from us, right? And so, you know, all this was done, and it was basically signifying that that John was, you know, preparing the way of the Lord, and these people needed to get ready. They needed to uh, uh, repent 
in anticipation of the return of the Messiah. And then in verse 29 he says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. So basically, he says that that here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as he gets to this section, really he's telling us that there's a Lamb. Uh, that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Y'all know whole lot about the Old Testament where it talks about the fact that uh, the Old Testament sacrifices, there were all those lambs, right? And I know we don't like to talk about it, but they, they killed all those animals in the Old Testament and Exodus and Leviticus that gives you all the sacrifices. And basically, in Exodus, God tells them to build them a tabernacle. That I may dwell among you. Exodus chapter 25 verse 8. And he says I want to dwell among you. And so then he begins to prescribe. Uh, how to build that temple. And everything in that temple. You know is built just so. And if you go look in there. And you go look at it. There's chapter after chapter after chapter. Of details. On how to build a temple. And you think well why in the world. Would God give us such boring stuff in the Bible? But you know, it's just like sometimes we get all these genealogies and all these lists of names. God wants us to know that everyone is important. That's why he includes all those names a lot of times. But then also, as he gives us all these details, he wants us to know that every one of these details is important because this whole temple... This whole temple complex and everything in it is a picture of what Jesus Christ would do when he comes back as Savior of the world and he comes as the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Sin of the world. And so what happens, remember in the Old Testament, right before the Exodus, what's going on? Moses goes to Pharaoh. And he says, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh says, no. So there's like nine different plagues on the people of Egypt. There's, you know, blood in the water. There's insects. There's darkness and all kinds of stuff. And every time God does one of these things, what he's doing is he's really saying that your God over the crops, your God over the water, your God over the sun and the moon is not as powerful as me because I am the true God. I'm the real God. And so he's showing them that he is God because the Egyptians had all these different gods for crops and rain and, you know, and, and water and the moon and the light and all this stuff. And they had all these gods. And so when it gets to the end, what happens basically is is uh, Moses goes back one last time and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let your people go. And he says, if you don't let my people go, he said, the death angel is going to pass over and all the firstborn of the land will die. And so Pharaoh says, 
I don't want to ever see your face again. And Moses says, you won't. And he leaves. And so he goes back to the people of Israel and he says, I want you to go home and I want you to take that little lamb and I want you to kill it and I want you to take the blood and I want you to put it up on the doorpost and the lentils and it's like, you know, putting it up on the little post and then putting it up on the top. So it's like a form of a cross. And so he says, put that up on the doorpost and the lentils and when the death angel comes over, the firstborn won't die. And so basically what they're doing is they're believing because of the blood that God's not going to kill them. And see, that's what happens later on as we get offended because of the blood. But what happens later on? God dies on the cross and he's slain and he sheds his blood. The Bible says over in Leviticus, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? What happened? God killed an animal and he put a covering of, of animal skins on top of them, right? That was the first sacrifice. And so here, they're killing a little poor little old lamb, but they're putting the blood up there. And when God sees the blood, he says, I know you're trusting in me to protect you. And I'm going to pass over your family and nobody will die. And it's just like today. The Bible says the way to be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And what does the Bible say that you've got to believe? The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins. That was him dying on the cross, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And so basically when he shed his blood on that cross, that's what that lamb was doing. And so basically what he says is, look, this is a picture of what Jesus is going to do one day. And everything in that temple complex was a picture of something that Jesus Christ would do. Particularly, you remember inside of that Holy of Holies, the priest could only go in there once a year. And there was a little old, there was these, uh, I don't know what you call it, these plates or uh something that would hold these loaves of bread remember Jesus said he was the bread of life right and these things that held the bread were pure gold Jesus said I'm the light of the world and the things that held the incense and they kept that oil burning all the time and that was a picture of God the Holy Spirit the anointing of the Holy Spirit and that light burned all the time they couldn't let those that oil go out they couldn't let that fire go out and they were made of pure gold. And also the other thing that was made of pure gold is the Ark of the Covenant on top of it. There was a, a gold seat and that's where the priest poured the blood every time he made a sacrifice. And that gold seat was a picture of Jesus Christ. That gold seat was called the mercy seat because God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us grace. And so every time that priest put that blood on there, and it would be a blood of a lamb, that, that God would look down from above, and he would see that blood, and what was inside that Ark of the Covenant 
was the Ten Commandments. And so when he looked down, it was a picture of him looking down and saying, I cannot see the law which you have broken, my law. You have broken it, but that blood covers up that law and I can't see your sin, is what he was saying. And so that's what John is saying here, that he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When we believe that Jesus died in our place and he died for our sins and he took our sin away and we trust in him and believe on him and ask him to forgive us because we believe he took our place, that he was our lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God says he looks down and he doesn't see Marty anymore, the sinner, but he sees Marty, the saint, and he sees Jesus Christ's blood and he can't see my sin anymore. And that was what that whole thing was about. That Jesus is the one that was going to take away the sin of the world. And so, you know, a lot of times we don't understand why all these things are going on in the Old Testament. We don't understand everything. But one man has said, the old, in the old uh, it's concealed, but in the new it is revealed. And you can't really understand this Bible totally and completely unless you read the Old Testament and the New Testament because the Old Testament is explained in the New because there's a lot of things done in the Old Testament that we don't understand but when we get to the New Testament we can see that they were all pictures of what Jesus would do they were types, they were symbols remember Joseph when he carried the wood on his back when his daddy took him to, and, and God told him to go put him up on Mount Moriah and kill him. Well, guess what? That was a picture of Jesus Christ because he was carrying his own wood. And what Jesus did, he carried his own cross. And, and for three days they went out in the wilderness and the mind of his daddy, he was as good as dead because he had already realized that that was what God said to do. And then what happens? He gets out there and, and his dad, and he asks his, uh, his son, says, Well, Dad, where is the lamb? And the, and the Bible says that God will provide himself a lamb. And that was him saying, I'm going to provide myself as a lamb. And so what happens? He gets ready to kill his son and God stops him. He says, I know that you love me now, Abraham. It wasn't that he didn't know that he loved him. He wanted Abraham to know that he loved God more than he loved his son. And so when he pulled him off the altar, they looked around and sure enough, there was a ram in the, in the thicket. And that was what they used to sacrifice. And so, you know, many, many times we see in the Old Testament that, that God is showing to us what he's going to do in the New Testament. And then John repeats again. This is he of whom I said. After me comes a man. Who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him. John is the cousin of Jesus. But he didn't even know Jesus. But he says that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. We'll spend a little bit more time on that next week. When I come back. But. You know, the whole reason John came to be baptizing was so that the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world would be revealed. That's what God said to do. That's what John went and did. 
And he was revealed to him. You know, and there's a principle there. When we do what God asks us to do, sometimes no matter how crazy it seems, then God does what he wants us to do. But you know, so many times we don't believe God and we say, God, I can't do that. Or God, why should I do that? Or God, that doesn't make sense. But God says, go do it. And when we just trust him and do what he says to do, guess what? He shows himself to be a mighty God. But if we don't ever just say, okay, God, I'm going to do it like you said to do it. Or this sounds crazy, but I'm going to do it anyway. If we don't do that, then sometimes we don't see it to see God work. I knew a guy, he, he, was, he was out at the jail now. And he was an inmate. He was a saved guy. He had gotten saved while he was in jail. And he said one day that the Lord was telling him to tell this guy something that was in the, in the same unit as him. And he said, why would I do that, God? That doesn't make any sense. And it was like God just kept saying, tell him, tell him, tell him. And he said, okay, God, that doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm going to tell him. And he says he told the guy. And the guy looked at him and said, just, that's just what I needed to hear. But see, it didn't make any sense to him. And that's the way sometimes life is, is we don't understand. But see, God knows everything, right? He knows everything. And if we will just trust Him, then He will prove Himself to be mighty. But we have to be willing to just say, when He tells us to do something, just say, yes, Lord. Well, let's pray and then we'll sing one more song and then we'll be finished today. Father, we... Thank you today for your grace and your mercy and love. We thank you for that mercy seat that you provided a lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And that was, lamb was Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died on that cross and died for our sins. And we thank you that uh, he made the only sacrifice because he was the only one that could do it. He was the only one that loved us that much. He was the only one that was willing to die for us. And because he was God, he was the only one that could take away our sin. Father, we love you and thank you and praise you for everything you've done for us. And we just love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to sing number 14. There's power in the blood. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Some are locked up in bodies that don't work and in the nursing home facility, in the wheelchair, the bed they cannot get out of. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems or their parents. They aren't doing right and their cries, we want to have a real family. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up in the jail and the prison, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression and suicidal thoughts and a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us life and to set us free and these folks are not free but we can set them free through Christ Jesus at least in their minds and their spirits. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia and surrounding Effingham and Chatham. We do about 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you'll support us in some way so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the donate now button. And we hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you.